Hey everybody, it's uh, Chris from Never Shot Never, and you're listening to PS Tape Recorder. Hello there, I'm PF, this is my tape recorder. Coming up, Jordan from the Ready Set explains how a kid from Fort Wayne, Indiana, grows up to become one of America's most sought-after young pop stars. I just sort of realized that I could, you know, perform shows and start touring, and, and I just uh, kind of made that happen. And speaking of music, we'll also have a brand new track from Andy Hawk and the Trainwreck Endings. Their new album, Another Storyline, is officially out, and we'll have links to it on the Podbean page, so you can get yourselves a copy. But first, as always, fake news. Fake news with me. GOP presidential hopeful Rick Perry, speaking in front of a group of high school students in his home state of Texas, was asked what his favorite Britney Spears songs might be. He responded, uh, hit me baby one more time, toxic, and uh, uh, what was the third one? Oops. And they gave him a big round of applause, said 17-year-old Ashley Waterstone. That's my favorite too. The Arab League voted Saturday to suspend Syria in four days and warn the regime there that it could face sanctions if it does not end its bloody crackdown against anti-government protesters. Syria, for its part, said it was looking into joining the Big Ten. The only U.S. nuclear power plant ever to be automatically shut down by an earthquake received a federal approval Friday to restart operations after nearly three months of inspections. The Dominion Virginia Powers North Anna Plant in Mineral Virginia, the first nuclear facility, got the green light from the Nuclear Regulatory Commission after a glowing report. I think I've used that one before, actually, for the, the ones in Japan. Eddie Murphy announced Wednesday that he would not host next year's Academy Awards one day after colleague and show producer Brett Ratner quit over an anti-gay remark that Mr. Ratner made uh, this past weekend. Said Mr. Ratner about Murphy's decision, that N-word's got my back. And he said N-word too, he didn't say the other thing. He actually said N-word. Uh, NASA scientists assure the public that Earth won't be destroyed by a huge solar flare in 2012. Scientists explain that the flares emitted by the sun, even the giant ones, aren't powerful enough to cause even minimal damage to the Earth, said one astronomer. It's not like that big-ass asteroid that's going to hit us in 2013. Oh, crap, did I just say that? With the election less than a year away, it is unclear which of the seven GOP presidential hopefuls Barack Obama will face in the 2012 election. But political experts believe it will be one of the Mitt Romneys. And that's been Fake News with me. So I was thinking of uh, what kind of a bit I could do uh, on this week's show, and uh, I had one planned, but the person that was going to record it with me was not available, and I'm kind of up against deadline, as we say uh, in the podcasting business. Uh, so we'll have that for you next week. It's kind of a surprise. I don't want to let on too much. But uh, yesterday was Veterans Day here in uh, North America, and indeed around the world, uh, really all of the allied countries that uh, fought in wars with us, observing uh, some sort of remembrance of veterans, not only from World War I, which was the original intent of the holiday, but uh, veterans from all wars who fought uh, and kept us free in democratic nations. And uh, they had an assembly at my daughter's school, and it was a very nice assembly, brought in some veterans to speak, one particular fellow that... Uh, 
spoke, talked, uh, he was an Iraq war veteran, spoke about uh, his time there and just heartbreaking stuff. Uh, his, his one buddy was killed driving a Humvee, a rock-propelled grenade hit it. Uh, another of his uh, friends was uh, very badly injured. Uh, but the good news there, he, his friend comes to visit him from time to time here in Cincinnati. And uh, so they're, they're still uh, good friends. Uh, and he, the, the fellow survived, thank God. But um, just heartbreaking, heartbreaking stuff. And then I remembered as I was sitting there thinking, you know, wow, was it, was it all necessary? You know, especially, I think we could have a, a Rachel Maddow says we could have a, uh, a patriotic debate about Afghanistan. But boy, Iraq, it just, it just seems like such a waste. And, uh, you know, and, and God bless those guys that went over there and did their job because we asked them to. And then I thought about uh, something I had written about a year or a year and a half ago for another podcast. It turns out it was something they couldn't use, but I think it kind of has relevance uh, today. And it involves John Woo, who used to work for the Bush White House, and uh, how those fellas really liked to torture people. They were really behind the torture thing. And uh, a lot of people, uh, like the host of the show that... Uh, that uh, this centers on, you know, they'd come up with this stuff like, well, you know, the, that snare, like, well, what if uh, you could only save a, a bunch of people and you had to, to torture this suspect to do it? And it just seemed to me like, it just sounds like you guys really want to torture people. And the other argument for using torture, well, I think was very insulting to uh, our men and women in uniform. And uh, I was reminded of this particularly yesterday on Veterans Day. So I'm going to play the bit for you. Remember, this was intended for a different podcast, so it kind of has me doing an intro, and I called the bit from the heartland or something, something dumb like that. But, but uh, here's the bit. Greetings from the Midwest, the heartland, the old Northwest, if you will. I'm P.F. Wilson. John Yu, the former Justice Department official who gave us the infamous torture memos, has a new book out called Crisis and Command. Mr. Yu, of course, has been making the talk show rounds, as many authors do. One stop was on the Mike McConnell Show on 700 WLW Radio in Cincinnati. I should note quickly that I wrote for another host on that station from 1996 to 2007. McConnell first asked you if he thought the Obama administration might be coming around to the Bush White House's way of thinking on the treatment of enemy combatants, to which you replied, I, I sure hope so. I think one thing that has worried me is that the Obama administration sometimes seems to almost have it hardwired into their DNA to treat terrorism as a law enforcement problem and to treat al-Qaeda and its actions as crimes rather than as acts of war. Like shoe bomber Richard Reed? When did the military get a hold of him? Oh yeah, they didn't. He was convicted in a federal court in 2002. While who was president? Hmm, the name escapes me. McConnell also asks you how President George Washington handled POWs. Well, one thing I try to show is that uh, some of actually our great presidents, Washington, Lincoln, FDR, uh, when they were conducting wars and they had to handle enemy combatants, they often did use military courts rather than trying to rely on civilian courts. The problem, of course, is Washington didn't handle POWs. He wasn't a wartime president. Yeah, FDR did a great job rounding up people that just looked like enemy combatants. I'm surprised the Bush administration didn't try that. Hey, FDR did it! The best comments from the interview, though, are about waterboarding. McConnell brings up a point that many people have made. After World War II, the big one, as Archie Bunker used to call it, the U.S. prosecuted members of the Japanese military as war criminals for waterboarding American GIs. Yu's answer? Well, first off, I, like I, say, I think there's a big difference between what happened to American POWs in other wars and what happened 
uh, here. I think uh, you know people try to pretend that the cases are the same. I think they're very different. Yeah, the good guys can do anything. So what was the difference, Mr. Yu? Here we had a case where we had captured the number three, four, and five leaders of al-Qaeda. Uh, the government believed there was an imminent terrorist attack in the United States that was going to occur. Um, these uh, al-Qaeda leaders were trained to resist regular interrogation. Uh, they're not going to respond to polite questions or even yelled questions. And uh, according to CIA directors, um, this information uh, that was uh, obtained from them saved law American lives and prevented attacks on the country from succeeding. You heard it here first, folks. The greatest generation, the men who beat back Hitler and the Imperial Japanese military, were sissies who couldn't take it. Thanks for clearing that up, John Yu. I'm P.F. Wilson. So that's the bit. Um, I just remember thinking, what an extraordinary thing to say that our brave uh, fighting men and women uh, just, just couldn't take it. They were a bunch of wimps, and especially after yesterday, after hearing uh, the gentleman speak at my daughter's assembly, I was just e even more astonished, and I, that bit just popped into my head, and I was like, I can't believe pe people would, would say something like that. So, okay, on to a lighter note. Uh, if you like the rock and roll kids, you're in for a treat here. Uh, we have an interview with Jordan from The Ready Set, and uh, we'll waste no more time uh, dilly-dallying around here. Here's our interview with Jordan from The Ready Set. All right, joining us on PS Tape Recorder, it's Jordan from the Ready Set. How you doing, Jordan? You're pretty good. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Well, um, got a lot of questions for you here. Um, uh, I know I've uh, been following uh, you and uh, your, your peers through my daughter, who likes uh, a lot of uh, bands that you're friends with, of course. But uh, I tell you what, man, I was totally blown away by your performance in Louisville. Um, what's going on? I'm sorry, I'm like I, doing a million things right now. That's okay. I said I, I was totally blown away by your performance in uh, Louisville. It was very oh, impressive. Um, the thank question, you very much. Uh, the question I had after going to the the, the concerts of, of you and some of your peers here over the last year with my daughter is that uh, it seems that nowadays, and you might not remember this because uh, you're in your 20s, early 20s, um, but it seems like you guys now sound a lot better than bands used to in the old days. And I'm thinking, is it because you guys just tour relentlessly that you, you know, uh, get that much better? Or are you working hard to begin with? Or what do you attribute that to? Um, it's a little bit of everything. I mean, obviously a huge part of it is, is being out on the road as much as we are, because it's, it's pretty much like a constant thing. Like, and, uh, and if I'm not on tour, then I'm pretty much always... Uh, always writing, always working on, on stuff, so constantly, constantly doing something that involves, I guess, kind of progressing and getting better, so. So, when did you get into music? Was it a, a lifelong thing, or at a certain age did you uh, decide, hey, I want to I want to do this, I'm, I really like songs and stuff? How'd that, how'd that come about? Um, I started playing music when I was about 11, I started playing oh. drums, and um, I didn't start doing anything with songwriting until I was about 17, and that's when I started doing this, so... Um, oh. You know, I think it just kind of kind of figured out that I wanted to do it as soon as I started doing it, and I realized that it was uh, it was possible. And uh, yeah, that's kind of how it how it all came about. I just sort of realized that I could, you know, book my own shows and start touring, and and I just uh, kind of made that happen. So, what else do you do besides play drums and sing? Do any other instruments you uh, you do? Uh, pretty much everything but guitar. Okay. That's cool. And so, when yeah. you're writing songs, do you do that on uh, a keyboard, piano? Uh, how do you 
uh, do you start by singing a melody first and kind of build around that? How, what's that process like usually? Oh, uh, it depends. Usually it starts with just a keyboard and then I kind of like build things up around just like a basic kind of melody. I usually write like the, the melody and lyrics and stuff first before really finishing the, the, the track of the song itself. But it, it changes every time, really. And how did you discover you had a good voice? Did you take any kind of voice lessons at all? Um... About actually like a couple of years into me doing this, I, I took like really brief ones, but um, I don't know. I, I think a lot of it's just practice and learning yeah. to warm up with new like singing techniques and stuff like that. I'm trying to think what song it was. I think it was Killer as a song where you kind of move a little bit in and out of this falsetto, kind of. Would that? Am I thinking of the right song? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, man, that was just amazing, and it was flawlessly, and you did it like a couple of times on the song. It was unbelievable. Thank you. And uh, the other thing I noticed too, with uh, UN All Time Low and uh, and uh, Paradise Fears, not so much We Is She, they kind of didn't bop around as much. But uh, you also had to be in some kind of good shape because you're flying around that stage and you guys never sound out of breath. And uh, so, what do yeah. you do to, just to stay in shape? Just not like like do bad things and and party too hard when you are on the road. Uh, pretty much just try to work out a lot, try to run and everything like that. And oh, there you uh, go. Stay in, in as good a shape as possible and not eat like terrible food constantly. That's the biggest thing. It's just that's kind of hard when you're out on tour all the time. It's just finding the right things to eat and not and not be like really just sitting around doing nothing. And trying to stay active is a huge thing. So usually when I run home, I'm, I'm able to do that a lot more than I am on the road. But definitely, definitely try. Um, yeah, I, I uh, heard an interview with uh, one of my favorite bands, OMD, where he was. Uh, they just went back out on the road after uh, 20 years. And uh, the interviewer asked him, they said, you know, how's your voice holding up? He says, well, you know, when you don't party till 2 o'clock in the morning and are drinking all night long, your voice holds out pretty good. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. There's a lesson exactly. to be learned there. <laughs> so is Fort Wayne still home? Um, yeah, so technically. I'm not there very often. I would imagine, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's, it's usually bouncing between tour and uh, L.A., but I, I do spend a little bit of time there. And uh, Pete Wentz brought you on to his label. Uh, how did he discover you? Was Were you just out touring and he found it, or did he come through Fort Wayne and discovered you, or how did that come about? Um, pretty much through my, uh, my my management. As soon as I started working with them, they sent my stuff around to a lot of labels, and okay. he was the first one to, to be really interested in it. And, um, yeah, it just, it just fit really well. I was really excited about it. And, uh yeah, I mean, it, just, it ended up working out really well between me and the Cadence and all of others. Now, as a young artist, you know, we've had the rock and roll for, uh, you know, over 60 years now. Do you think that you have a, this big history of rock to look back on, that you kind of uh, know kind of how things work and know things to avoid, like you've seen a lot of, you know, VH1 behind the music and, you know, like what kind of pitfalls to avoid? It, do, do, the, do the young bands think that way, you think? Um, I think some of them do, and some of them definitely don't, but I hmm. think the, the weird thing is that the music industry and everything has changed so incredibly much that it's almost impossible to kind of uh, judge things based off that, just because it's a completely different world now. Like yeah. Things come and go in, in you know, less than a year sometimes, so you got to kind of just make sure you're you're on like, the cutting edge of everything you do and just staying really, really busy. Like Nobody can really do that kind of thing where they can you know, wait three years to put out their next album anymore because everything's completely, uh, everything's just like, a, you know, people are into things and over things really quickly. Yeah, and so you got to stay out there in front of people and uh, I guess mm -hmm. the, and not only that, the, with the touring, that's really, um, 
the only way you make money nowadays for a lot of bands because in the old day it was you just toured and broke even to support your record sales and now of course it's kind of the opposite you know if you if you sell records yeah. it's it's i mean if you sell records legally of course it's great and uh, and the road yeah. is is the, the money band how do you keep the uh, the, the live show fresh cuz you seem to have a lot of energy as did you know a lot of your peers uh, you know they seem everyone seems to show up you know and bring in their a game every night um no, I think it just kind of it kind of depends on the crowd. I mean, there's definitely those nights where it's not you know 100, percent and it, it's just like a lot of that comes down to the crowd's energy and the crowd's reaction and things like that. But um, I don't know. It's uh, it usually things kind of fall into the routine. Like you sort of start to figure out like about halfway through a tour where you're gonna say what, like exactly what you can do at certain points in the set. It just kind of keeps getting better and better. And we usually change things up between each tour, like uh. Um, on this one, we don't really have any production or anything. We're just kind of going out playing the songs. But on the uh, headline tour, we're getting ready to go out on right after this. We have a uh, whole lighting, all crazy stuff like that. So oh, cool. A lot more to, uh, it's a lot more to work with on that one. This is going to be awesome. Uh, is it? And when you change tours, I know a lot of times, you know, a lot of the bands interchange, and there's usually, and this is another thing that's uh, probably more uh, an indication of today's music scene versus a couple of years ago, is that there seem to be a lot more bands on the bill whenever you see a band nowadays. And is it, is it, do you, is it hard like uh, when you go on to a new tour to get into a new routine, or is it you're so used to playing with all these different bands all the time that it's just you know there's very little adjustment and you just just go about it. Um, yeah, I mean, there's not too much, I guess, adjustment, really. It's really sort of the same thing. I mean, you, you just sort of find out your set time every day, and you play your show, and uh, it's usually about a weekend to tour, you're friends with everybody. So it's, they're really kind of all the same. It's just different, different groups of people. Yeah, everybody seems to get on, as they say in England. So that that probably helps out quite a bit. Especially that'd be kind of dicey, I guess. With it's you know, probably hard enough with like a, an opener and a headliner, but you know when you got like another two, three bands on the bill, you know, you ever like nervous like if, with a band you haven't ever met before that mm, what if we're not friends? What if their road crew's kind of you know dicky or oh they all seem to help each other out too. I notice everybody's road crew seems to help each other out, getting that stuff moved around, and you know people are on stage within like fifteen minutes of the next band. It's it's uh it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, everything, everything's usually pretty, pretty cool. So. Awesome. Well, continued success to you, sir. We'll see you December 3rd in Cincinnati, Thanks. and folks can uh, can check out thereadyset.com and for tour dates uh, around the country, and, and definitely uh, highly recommended you go see uh, not only the Ready Set, but all the bands uh, he tours with, because they're all cool as well. And, um, and again, uh, couldn't be more impressed with the album either. Thank you, thank you. Great. All right, well, good talking to you, Jordan. Thanks for taking the time today. All right, bye-bye. Thank you. And thanks again to Jordan from the Ready Set for joining us. Uh, they are on tour. They start a headlining tour uh, sometime this week or next, as a matter of fact. Go to thereadyset.com for all the dates. I know they're in Cincinnati on December 3rd, amongst other cities. So you do want to check them out. Man, that kid can really sing. And uh, the song we were coming out of the interview with there is the, the brand new track called Young Forever. 
All right, well, speaking of new music, and uh, someone who hasn't been, seems young forever, it's Andy Hawk, of course, and his train wreck endings. We played them on the show before. Friends of the podcast. They had a big uh, CD release party just this last Friday on Veterans Day. Uh, of course, the new CD is called Another Storyline, and the track we're going to play this time around is called Sunshine Song. Here it is. Clap your hands Keep the beat And we'll dance tonight on Sunshine Street Looking back Is bittersweet But it's all okay on Sunshine Street Put your tears in my paper cup Keep them there until we're gone Sunshine Song from their new CD, Another Storyline. That is available now. And, of course, if you're listening to this in iTunes, you want to cruise over to pfradio.podbean.com. And there on the Podbean page, we'll have links to uh, the Ready Set and to Andy Hawk. I believe Andy's website, though, is andyhawk.com. And the Ready Set is just thereadyset.com. So if you can remember that, just plug that into your browser. You can find tour dates for both, as well as how to buy all kinds of fun merchandise and so forth. Uh, just enough time to tell you to like us on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter at PF66. The PF Tape Recorder logo is designed by Dan Cobell. Follow him at Tiger Dactyl on Twitter. Let me see. Oh, Jim Luger is a friend of the podcast. You've heard him perform uh, here before. He will be at Go Bananas on November 30th as part of the Pro-Am Night. 
Now, that is a night where Go Bananas features uh, amateur and professional comedians. It's really always a, a, a terrific show. Five bucks gets you in the door, and uh, you see about uh, 12, uh, 13, 14 uh, solid comics performing, about five minutes each. I'm going to try and get on the bill that night as well. I will keep you posted. Maybe I'll have an update next week. Meanwhile, I will be at Mugby's on Beachmont Avenue in Anderson Township, Ohio, Tuesday, 11.15, doing trivia. Starts at 7.30, runs till about 9.30. And uh, it always sounds so silly saying that that's my date, but it doesn't sound as sexy as saying I'm, avid, I'm at Go Bananas 11.30, but hopefully I will be. Okay, and uh, of course, if you've listened all the way through this podcast and you're going to be at the trivia night at Mugby's there, uh, I have promised to give you a clue. I'm going to give you two, actually. Uh, the dad on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is Philip Banks, and uh, the nickname of the Bowling Green State University athletic teams, they are the Falcons. That's all you need to know. I'm not even going to hint around. I'm just giving you answers. If you made it all the way through the podcast, you deserve two answers. And that's going to do it. Uh, We'll see you next time. 